Wine and spirits are managed by the Treasury Department in a subsidiary known as the TTB called the Tax and Trade Bureau. This is not an FDA approval. This is an approval by a taxing authority that operates under the Treasury Department. Their goal is not to have you drink healthier or better wine. Their goal is to generate tax dollars. In the United States, there are 76 winemaking additives approved by the FDA, but wine companies are not required to disclose their ingredients or additives, so you have no way of knowing what's actually in your wine. Todd White is here to expose all this and explain why companies even do this in the first place. Hint, it's all about money-making. And... He's also going to share a better, lower sugar, additive-free, natural alternative if you drink wine. We also talk about black mold that's being used in wine, glyphosate, why wine is high in sugar, and how his wine is created resulting in a sugar-free version. So much is covered in today's episode that will blow your mind. I'm your host, Bethany Cameron, and you're listening to the Digest This Podcast. It's getting into summer, which means more traveling. But with traveling comes the headache of opting for toxic products small enough to be TSA passed, such as mainstream mini toothpaste tubes. But surprisingly, in my latest regular shipment of my bite toothpaste bits, I noticed on the package it says TSA approved, even their mouthwash, because their quote mouthwash isn't actually a liquid. Just like their toothpaste bits, Bite's mouthwash are tablets you can take anywhere and even stash in your purse anytime you need to rinse your mouth and freshen up. Just bite down on a tablet and chew, then take a sip of water and swish it around in your mouth as you would mouthwash. Just spit it out and then you're good to go. I absolutely love Bite and their non-toxic oral care. Everything from their toothpaste bits to their mouthwash and even their teeth whitening kits. And they now have a charcoal version. And I know charcoal on your teeth sounds like they would actually make your teeth more dirty, but it's quite the opposite. Activated charcoal naturally helps whiten your teeth. So you get a two-for-one deal with toothpaste and gentle whitening all in a non-toxic tablet that comes in glass jars. So if you've been looking for a natural toothpaste without the paste, try Bite Toothpaste Tablets and experience what I, my husband, and so many others are obsessed with. Bite is offering my listeners 20% off your first order. Go to trybite.com slash digest or use code digest at checkout to claim this deal. I hope you guys love it. Thank you so much, Todd, for coming on today. I like to start my podcast with some just right off the bat questions here. So why is wine toxic? Well, uh, 
Now that's a big question. So ultimately, we can we'll use the entire amount of this podcast to unpack that question largely. But if you really want to know what it comes to, it's really about money. And so wine became toxic because of money. Uh, farming became toxic because of money. And so you know it all really when you think about when you think about wine, you have to go back to the fundamental of what makes wine, and that is the fruit, right? And so the quality of the fruit, which is largely a reflection of the health of a living soil or the death of a dead soil, right? Um, that really comes down to the quality and character of farming. That's where it begins. And in the 1920s, we started farming with chemicals in the early 1920s. That's when the advent of chemical farming came about. <laughs> in addition to what then became the practice of mono, mono agriculture. And so uh, now grapes were are already mono agriculture, but that doesn't have to be so as a result, as it relates to the farm. So the farm should be biodiverse. <clears throat> if the farm's not biodiverse, it can't operate along with nature's rhythms. And so then you have to start uh, adjusting farming and nature's rhythm with the use of chemicals and adjustments and interventions. Nature is this perfected thing that operates just perfectly on its own. It can be quite brutal, but it operates quite perfect, quite perfectly. Right. It's when man intervenes in nature that there begins a problem. So how do wine become toxic? We're going to talk about all of those details. But the central thing to remember is in America, we scale things, right? The way, unlike any other country, there are other countries who scale certain industries or businesses, but nobody scales everything the way we do. We want it to be bigger, more profitable, and we want to find any shortcut we can to scale it and get it there. And so that began with chemical farming in the 1920s. Now, just to give you one startling fact on farming, before I go any further with startling and shocking facts that you're going to hear, I need to say that everything I'm going to tell you, you'll say, oh, wow, how could that be so? And I was like, well, and the wine industry wants to say, oh, this guy I'm public enemy number one in the wine industry, right? The wine industry loves to say, oh, this guy just wants to sell you wine. And that's true. I make a decent living selling wine, but that's not what this is about. What I want to do is introduce people to the knowledge and the experience that I discovered that changed my life and my drinking life fundamentally. And we'll talk about why drinking is not healthy in a moment. That's something else that shocks people to hear from me is, I mean, drinking is not healthy. Drinking ethyl alcohol is not healthy for humans. We'll get back to that in a moment. Breaking news. Drinking is not healthy. So, because <laughs> I'm a health leader. I'm a health evangelist. I help people think about, you know, everything from carnivore to keto to meditation to fitness to all kinds of modalities that I practice and advocate for that have nothing to do with wine or drinking. Because I believe that People live a better life by optimizing the human experience. Mm -hmm. No, so I have a question though. So, what's 
what's in conventional wine that's not in organic and natural wine? And is there a difference between organic and natural wine? Yes, there are. We're going to cover all that. So let's get started. Let me give this let me give this shout out on this fact. Everything I'm going to tell you, some of it is surprising and shocking. The wine industry hates me telling this story. And so, but everything I'm going to tell you is verifiable with a Google search, or you can go to our website. The documentation, third-party sites are all there for everything I'm going to tell you. So this is not like me trying to sell something or bash somebody. This is just the facts. Right. Not You're not digging create, it up from a thin just, air. I'm just reporting the facts in ways that they've hidden the facts for years. <clears throat> So we talk about farming and we'll get to organic and natural. All natural wines are organic, but not organic, not all organic wines are natural. And we'll cover that when we talk about what the three components that that constitute a natural wine and how that's different from everything else. So everything that's not a natural wine, which is 99.9% .9 of wines in the world, everything's not a natural wine is a conventional wine. And so, but let's start with farming because that's kind of where it all begins. And then we can talk about how the money really got involved. But in farming, the startling fact, in the United States, 96% of vineyards, this is a statistical fact published by the state of California, 96% of all vineyards in the United States are farmed with chemicals. This is just a fact. This is not something Todd thinks or is my opinion california department of agriculture publishes this every year so in the world only five percent of vineyards are organic all over the planet five percent that means that 95 percent of the vineyards in the world no matter where you're drinking from you are drinking chemicals now why is that important it's important because the environmental and the consumer environmental group that publishes the 30 dozen list of fruits and vegetables that retain the highest residual amount of chemicals, toxic chemicals from farming, pesticides and herbicides. Grapes are number eight in the dirty dozen. They used to be number six. They're now number eight. They vary somewhere between six and eight, depending upon what year it is and what and the amount of uh, crops that are harvested in each category. But this year, they're number eight on the dirty dozen list of fruits and vegetables that retain the highest amount of chemicals from toxic farming. So, That's pretty high. So 95% of every bottle, 95% of every wine that you see on the shelf contains these chemicals. Now, the wine industry's response to that we know what their response is. They have two responses. One, these chemicals found, these residual chemicals found from toxic farming are not in high enough amounts to be toxic to you or to be harmful to you. The same thing that Bayer says about glyphosate, right? Glyphosate's also one of these prevalent uh, chemicals that are that are found in, in toxic farming. So, you know, Bayer says the same thing. They're not high enough to be harmful. Don't worry about it. Number two, what the wine industry says, and this is true, what the wine industry says is we are compliant with all federal regulations to disclose these chemicals. And that's a true statement because there are no requirements to disclose. And we'll get back to that in a moment and how that happened. It's about money. 
So, so when, when just at the very base level, my response to the, my response to the industry on the amount of these residual chemicals being harmful or not like glyphosate, whether glyphosate's harmful to drink, here's my position on it. If I can drink wine and I can drink it without any of these chemicals, I, that's my choice. Right, I would choose to drink chemical-free, organically farmed fruit. And so, but the problem is 95% of the wines that you see on the shelf, more than 95% because organics are like super, super small. You know, they're, they're filmed with, they're farmed with these chemicals. Glyphosate, known as Roundup, but the active chemicals, glyphosate, is the number one applied herbicide in U.S. vineyards. So that's farming is where it starts. Now, what about all this money? Okay, well, so here's, here's how we got here. Is that the wine industry on Wall Street, they call it a roll-up. So the wine industry consolidated, right? And, and using public money from Wall Street largely, you know, public money out of New York. This is kind of how it happens and some debt mechanisms, a bunch of rich people went around and consolidated the wine industry. Well, what do I mean by that? The top three wine companies in the United States make 60% of all wines. The top three. The top 25 make 90% of all wines in the United States. The top 25 companies. You have a similar thing in the food industry where basically nine or 10, if you go to the center of the grocery store, it's nine or 10 companies make basically everything in the center of the store. And so you have the same thing in the wine industry. So this happened starting in the 1980s, you know, with the prolification of cheaper public money and the run up of the stock market and so on and so forth. So public companies and a couple of huge, huge private companies uh, that haven't gone public, but were making so much money that they rolled up or consolidated the industry. The reason that this happened was in large part because of the way that alcohol is distributed. So the way wine is distributed is through the three-tier system. Three-tier system was created in the late 1930s, early 1940s, in response to organized crime. After prohibition, the U.S. government, the federal government said, we don't want, US, we don't want organized crime controlling alcohol, which was largely during prohibition Alcohol got in this country and was made in this country by, by, by the mob, by organized crime. So the government created this three-tier system of distribution about how alcohol gets distributed in most states. And some states, some states took alcohol distribution completely as completely, uh, Utah is an example. All alcohol is distributed in Utah is distributed only by the state. Right now, most states didn't do that, but so the point is getting your wine into retail, which is how most wine is sold, has to go through a distributor. This is a political, multi generational network of people around the country, and basically, two distributors now control about eighty percent of all distribution. And so, these companies rolled up and made it real easy for the distributors to talk to the wine companies and vice versa, right? And so it, it just all became about the sufficiency. That being said, these companies, these massive wine companies that make thousands of brands and labels, and they don't want you to know this, so they hide behind thousands of brands and labels. Now, they don't have their name on everything, right? In fact, 
some of the, the, the leading people in the industry don't put their name on anything. They're, they're all these individual brands. So you don't know. And they put little cute animals on them or they put farmhouses or chateaus because they want you to believe that this wine's made in a farmhouse. When in fact, most wines in the United States are made in massive factories, massive. They're like multiple football fields big. Massive factories located in the Central Valley of California where 90% of all U.S. wines are made. So they're basically greenwashing. Yeah, basically. So, well, how did all this happen? Well, it's this collusion between the U.S. government. They've colluded with a whole bunch of special interests. Wine is not unique, but it is kind of interesting. So the wine industry has lobbied for years successfully to keep nutritional information and ingredients off of a wine bottle. So wine bottle is the only major food product in the United States that doesn't have an ingredients label on it. Yeah, why is that? Because the wine industry doesn't want it on there. Why? Because there's 76 government-approved additives for the use in winemaking. Let's talk about those additives. What do you mean, Todd? There's 76 additives. Why didn't I know about this? Well, the reason you don't know about it is because the wine industry's kept it a big secret until I came along. And, and they've kept it a secret in part by successfully lobbying against transparent labeling on wine bottles. The wine industry's leading lobbyist has a website. Um, and on the website, they publicly, they publicly take a position against l transparent labeling on wine bottles. Now, their reason for this, now get this, our wine bottles have ingredients and nutritional panel on them. Now, so some of the bottles you, with this recently, we were finally able to get the government after years, we're trying to get the government to allow us, allow us to publish this information on a wine bottle. So they, they're literally, so first of all, so now your wines do have nutritional labels and everything so people can see, because up until this point, I've never seen a nutrition label on wine and I do have some of your wine and it does say like 0.3% sugar or, you know, things like that. So the wine industry has opposed labeling and their reason on their lobby website, the reason they oppose labeling, there's not enough real estate on the bottle and it will be confusing to consumers. That's their position. Oh now wine gosh. bottles, a lot larger than many packaged products, right? There's plenty of real estate and nobody's going to be confused by nutritional information or contents labeling. So this is just the hogwash that they've used. Now, 19 years ago, the Center for Public Science Interest filed a 16-page petition with the Treasury Department. This is another interesting fact. See, wine and spirits are not regulated by the FDA. All of the food and beverage products are regulated by the FDA. The FDA requires nutritional information. FDA requires contents label. Wine and spirits are managed by the Treasury Department in a subsidiary known as the TTB called the Tax and Trade Bureau. That's who approves these additives. This is important. This is not an FDA approval. This is an approval by a taxing authority that operates under the Treasury Department. Their goal is not 
to have you drink healthier or better wine. Their goal is to generate tax dollars. And so they've approved these 76. I, I, this is all kind of unbelievably crazy true, but I'm, I'm, all of what I'm telling you is all in a huge uh, white paper on our website called Wine Industry Facts that then goes down to third-party sites that ties this back to credible third-party sources on everything. This is not, you know, I mean, it's, it's simple to, to find out that the TTB is oversees the wine and spirits industry, not the FDA. That's super easy. But so now these 76 additives, what are they? Since nobody even knows that they exist, but let's talk about what they are. Right. Well, before we get into that, I want to make sure that my listeners are clear. So the TTB, they're the ones that approve the additives. Yes, that's correct. That's the taxing authority, not the FDA. So they're making more money by by do by being in control of this. But do you feel that there's maybe a revolving door between the TTB and the pharmaceutical industry, and perhaps they're purposely making us sick by wanting us to consume? These well, additives? I mean, the, the pharmaceutical industry is regulated by the FDA. That's a whole nother. I'm not an expert in pharmaceuticals and the FDA, but that's a whole nother ball of wax that there are experts out there around FDA approvals and kind of the politics and backdoor dealing that goes on in that. I'm not an expert in that field. I was just thinking about, you know, a conspiracy theory here about, you know, maybe they obviously they they want us consuming these uh, chemical additives, making us sick, making us not feel good, having to go to pharmaceuticals. I, I don't, I'm, I'm, us- not gonna, I'm not going to go that far. I, I, I'm not sure that there's some kind of deep state here. I don't know about the conspiracy thing. What I do know is there's a collusion between the wine industry and politicians and that money in Washington exchanges hands for special interests and favors. Okay. We know that's true. So is there some deeper level of conspiracy? I I don't know. But it's deep enough already just to hear the facts and know that that this is harmful for your health. And so right. l- let me let me before we go on to some interesting other matters, let me just talk about the 76 additives for a minute. The 76 additives that you knew nothing about until 5 minutes ago, right? Unless you've heard me on a podcast or read, read an article that's been written about me. Uh and it might not surprise you I've been attacked by the wine industry. Right. So um, who deems me public enemy number one uh, and the wine press has attacked me. Right. So because they 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 don't want this truth out there. And again, this is not conspiracy level stuff. Everything I'm telling you is third party sites. You can find it on the your Google or you can go to our website where we already have a white paper. It does all the research for you. Right. So you don't have to bumble around on Google. But if you want to do it on Google, you find the same things we found after years of research. So the uh, these 76 additives, some of them are natural. Let me repeat that. Some additives are natural, but many are not. And some are very toxic. So let me just break these down. Of the 76 additives approved by the TTB for the use in winemaking, now we're not. This is this is over and above the toxins found in ninety five percent of wines that are chemically farmed. We've already covered that. This is extra, mm-hmm. right? So there's toxins, and then there's additives. Yes, and then there are toxic additives that are within the seventy six. So of the seventy six, 
I'll say this for the third time. Wine industry loves to say this. Some are natural, but not all. So let's, what does it, two of these additives, and this is data published by the National Institutes of Health, which has a database you can find online called PubChem. This is the public table of chemicals and their toxicity, their safety. This is a government website. Also, we cite the World Health Organization's website. So according to the National Institutes of Health, two of the 76 additives are acute toxins. Acute toxin has a definitive meaning. It's a clinical definition. And it means a, an acute toxin is defined as a substance that one dose or multiple doses over a 24-hour period can be fatal. That is an acute toxin definition. Two of the 76 additives, including the number one worst additive in the bunch called dimethyl dicarbonate, is an acute toxin. We're not finished yet. Of the 76, 12 are classified as health hazards. But wait, we're not finished yet. Four are derived from six are required to be derived, required from six different animal organs, including pig pancreas and cow stomach, right? So all the vegans out there drinking wine. <laughs> you, should, you should be listening up. If you care about animal rights or you care about the consumption of animal products, then you want to know this. Eight of these additives, right? We've got two, 12, four, now eight. Eight of these additives are derived from black molds, including ochratoxin A. Now, ochratoxin A can also get in wine in the vineyards. It's a mold. There's no regulation around that. In the European Union, in the EU, and all of our wines are tested for ochratoxin A. There is no required testing for U.S. wines. That's just a fact. So <clears throat> we care about mold. I don't want to be drinking it. Right? So that's what the additives list look like. At Dry Far Wines, they source wine according to their uncompromising criteria of farming and purity. Zero sugar, additive-free, lower alcohol, organic farming, low sulfites, vegan, keto, and paleo-friendly, and it's more than just a wine club. Their classic membership is the best way to discover pure, natural wines. You can order boxes of 6 or 12 bottles and choose all red, all white, or a mixed. You also choose the shipment frequency that best suits you and you can cancel at any time. In fact, after your first order, you can cancel right away and just get a good collection of wines that will last you a very long time. They also have a 100% happiness promise. Dry Far Wines stands behind every wine you receive. They will either replace or refund any bottle you don't love. No questions asked. So you truly have nothing to lose. I have a special offer only to my listeners. You can get an extra bottle in your first order for just a penny. 
Just go to dryfarmwines.com slash digest. Again, that's dryfarmwines.com slash digest and explore all the natural, organic, sugar-free, additive-free, low sulfite and lower alcohol wines and get an extra bottle for just a penny. I will also put that link in today's show notes so you can just go there with one easy click. That's dryfarmwines.com slash digest. You say natural, like black mold, that's natural. So the claim natural to me doesn't really mean anything. And I'm not sure if, if black mold was one of the quote natural things you were referring to. It's but. not, it, it's not, but, but, but it is natural and molds have been effective and useful in other treatments. So, you know, it's, but here again, the wine industry says, um, you know, this, Todd White guy's just trying to sell you his wine. Guilty as charged. I like selling wines, how I make a living. But again, that's not what this is about. This is about, I've been a lifelong wine drinker. I've been a lifelong drinker. I discovered low alcohol, sugar-free, natural wines, and they changed my life. And I didn't have to stop drinking. And I stopped poisoning myself. And so I happen to make a good living telling other people that you should stop drinking this poison and I have an alternative for you. But thats I don't do that because I make money doing, I do it because I wanna help people discover what I discovered that changed my life. Right. And, and there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. And I, get, I make a decent living doing it. So guilty, yes, I do wanna sell wine, but that's not what this is about. The wine industry, again, about all these toxins and additives says the same thing. They said the same thing about arsenic when they were sued you know, 20 years ago about high levels of arsenic in U.S. wines. They say the same things. There's not enough arsenic, even though arsenic was found in three separate accredited lab tests with 85 different wines in California. Arsenic was found up to five times the amount the EPA allows in drinking water. Arsenic present in California wines up to 500% higher than the EPA will allow in drinking water. Wine industry said then, and they say now about arsenic and all these toxic additives, same thing I've already told you, they say, we're in compliance with all federal regulations for disclosure. Yes, that's true because there are none. Number two, they say doses in the poison, you know, there's not enough of these toxins in wine to be harmful to you as as an individual. My response has always been the same. And I've already told you what my thinking is on it. I don't want to drink these additives. I don't want to drink these toxic chemicals. I don't want to drink toxic chemicals from farming in any amount if it's avoidable. And guess what? Natural wines, not only do you avoid all these toxins and chemicals, but they taste better as a result. And once you start drinking natural wines for a while and you go back and you smell and drink a conventional wine, you can smell the chemicals in it, right? Because it's not natural. You, right now, you think that's just what wine smells like. So the aromatics of wine will tell you 90% of a wine story. You know, I mean, I can smell a wine and tell you what it's going to taste like or whether I'm going to like it or not, right? So now I have the good fortune of, you know, smelling a few hundred wines a, a month, 
right? So I have a lot of experience in knowing what a wine smells like and whether the wine's good or faulted or not good or, you know, basically, and every single wine that we sell, every single wine that you're came, that came in your box, the last point of check is I taste it before it gets approved to go on boxes. And so I taste it. This is actually a lot more burdensome than it sounds like, you know, I taste about 50 to 100 wines a month that go out in boxes. Well, to taste 50 wines in a credible way takes a decent amount of time, right? Because you can't just sit down and taste 50 wines, right? You get palate fatigue, you get high, you get, you know, you get high, then your, then your perception is, is not, is not always accurate. So that's what's happened. That's how wines got toxic. It's about money. This is how the wine industry colludes with the government. The government supports it. Uh, yeah, we can go right down the list if you want to get down to conspiracy stuff. I'm not, I'm not a conspiracist, but Governor of California owns a very prosperous vineyard in the Napa Valley. Nancy Pelosi is one of the richest members of Congress. Most of her wealth comes from her holdings in California vineyards in the Napa Valley. Right. And so this, you know, this is about money and influence. And so, you know, California, the wine industry is, you know, nearly $300 billion uh, impact on the economy. And so, it, you know, this is, this, is, this is all related to money in one way or another. Now, natural farmers don't make any money because let's talk about why, what a natural wine is and why you can't make a lot of money making it, which is not why it's not very prevalent. Yeah, are, and, and, and the difference, too, I want to know. Um, I'm going to tell you there are natural. three components of a natural wine. The second Perfect. one is the most confusing and the reason that you can't make any money in the natural wine business. Number one, all natural wines are either organically or biodynamically farmed. Biodynamic farming um, is, for those who don't know what it is, it is a prescriptive, advanced form of organic farming. It involves lunar cycles and and preparations on the vines, and it's it has it's a whole protocol of farming that is prescriptive and an advanced form of organic farming created by Rudolf Steiner in the 1920s in response to chemical farming. Learn all you want to learn about it online, but let to keep it simple, it's just a it's an organic it's an advanced form of organic farming. Number two, and this is the most confusing one. Natural wines are always fermented with, this is how you make alcohol. You ferment the sugar that's found in the, in the juice. Yeast ferments into carbon dioxide and ethyl alcohol. So natural wines are always fermented with wild indigenous native yeast. Conventional wines, those not natural, 99.9% of wines in the world are, are, um, are fermented with GMO lab culture yeast. Now, why do they do that? These wild native yeast, which are present on the skin of all grapes anywhere at the time of harvest. So the yeast collects in the air in the vineyard naturally. The yeast is a byproduct of the of the flora found in and around the, the vineyard, the yeast collects on the skin of the grape. It's a white waxy film and 
if you picked up a cluster of grapes at the time of harvest when they're ripe, you'll see this white waxy film on the grapes. You can scrape it off with your fingernail. That's actually yeast. So the only thing required to make a natural wine is ripe fruit out of a vineyard because the yeast is already present. So if you just threw a cluster of grapes into a bucket and the skin of the grape breaks and the juice is released into the bucket, it will begin to ferment because everything needed for fermentation is already present in the cluster. There are only two things that are needed, sugar and yeast. And when the yeast activates, it will start eating the sugar. And the byproduct of that is ethyl alcohol and carbon dioxide. That's how you make wine. So conventional winemakers use this GMO lab culture yeast. And the reason they do that is because the, this wild native yeast has a number of limitations. One, it's fragile. It's difficult to work with. It's temperamental. And so you can't make wine very large volumes with this native yeast because the fermentations will break. <clears throat> Fermentation breaks, you have a problem. It means the yeast stop eating the sugar and the winemaking game is over, right? So these GMO lab cultured yeast are modified to be strong, sturdy, easy to work with, very dependable, right? But they're a lab product. Then number three, natural wines are additive free. Those are the three components of a natural wine, organic, native yeast fermentation, no additives. So when I discovered this, when I discovered it eight years ago, it, virtually no one had heard of it. I hadn't, I'd lived in, at the time, I lived in the heart of the Napa Valley. I was surrounded by winemakers and growers and, and wine. And, you know, it's the most important wine appellation in, in, in North America, second or third most important wine appellation on the planet. Uh, I never heard of any of this. I, I, I never, I didn't know anybody about any of this. Nobody was talking about it. Nobody talked about native yeast fermentation. Nobody talked about natural wines. Or I never heard of a wine additive, even though I lived right in the throat of the lion. I, I never heard of a wine additive. You know, I, everybody I knew was somehow related to the wine business. I had made wine in 2005 in Napa Valley. I, I'd never heard of an additive. And even today, you know, we we are now located in different parts of the country since the pandemic, but we used to be headquartered in Napa Valley. And when we, people would apply for jobs that worked inside the industry, like tasting room employees or people who worked in cellars would apply for jobs at my company because we were growing, hiring lots of people. People in the industry don't know anything about it. I mean, it's just, although if you go to employment ads, even today, you go to wine employment ads for cellar workers in the Napa Valley or in the United States. Uh, it's just that there's a lot of hiring in California because that's where 90% of U.S. wines are made. In employment ads, they will read, must be experienced in working with toxic wine additives. Right? These are in employment ads. Must be able to wear no facial hair because you'll be required to wear respirators right? Working around toxic chemicals. So this is sort of like a secret, not a secret, but nobody knows about it. So I've told a whole bunch of people, and as I've already mentioned, it's made me 
very unpopular. I don't live in Napa Valley anymore in part for that reason, right? In 2009, I was citizen of the year in Napa Valley. Today, I'd be tarred and feathered and rolled out of town. So, so it, you know, it's for, for disclosing these truths, which you, you would hope the wine industry's response would be, we need to fix this. But that's not their response at all. It's we need you to stop talking about it, Todd. That's their response. You know, and that's why to- they and that's why they continue to not want to put nutritionals and labels. Of course they don't want transparent labeling because they don't want you to really know what's in it. And, and how I'm did you get if, approval? What I'm what I'm saying is if you care about what you put in your body, you should care about these things. And if you don't care, that's fine too. There's a huge audience of people who don't care. I, you, look, you can walk. You know, I'm in New York City right now. We've got to walk out on the street and look and see a thousand people. And of those thousand people, 995, 950 of them don't care about what they put in their body. But for the 50 who do, right, then you should know this. And it shouldn't be a secret. There are 80 million regular wine drinkers in the United States, and probably 78 million of them don't care. Which is well, great. I can guarantee. I mean, I can guarantee everyone listening to this podcast definitely cares about what they put into their body for sure. And in fact, they probably care more about wine than ever before. Right. So let let's let's get back to the. I want to turn to one of my favorite topics, um, which is the toxicity of alcohol and why you shouldn't drink if you don't drink now. And I'm not advocating that you start drinking if you don't drink. And some people shouldn't drink at all. Uh, and if you're one of those people, I'm not advocating that you start drinking because this is a better drink. My message is for regular wine drinkers who care about what they put in their body and who know, and if they don't know, let me remind you, who know that alcohol is toxic. Alcohol is a very dangerous neurotoxin. Now, this is probably the most surprising thing. People think, well, this guy's here to sell wine. No, again, I'm not here to sell wine. If you choose to drink, you care about what you put in your body, you should be drinking my wine. But I'm not here to advocate for drinking. I think drinking is very unhealthy for human animals. (laughs) Ethyl alcohol is not healthy for humans. Now, that being said, I like wine. I enjoy drinking, and I like getting high. Now, what I need to do is be careful about that toxicity. And alcohol, wine, natural wine, sugar-free, they are better for you than conventional wines. And wine drinking for me brings me a lot of joy and pleasure. I happen to love drinking wine. In spite of its toxicity, I'm going to drink it anyway. What I, am, what I am interested in and the message I am interested in promoting is if you choose to drink wine or if you choose to drink at all, I think you should be drinking lower alcohol, sugar-free, additive-free, organically farmed, natural wine. It's all about con- informed consent. Right. And so... Uh, you know, I get criticism from people on social, you know, they're like, you know, if you're so concerned, this is from people usually who have stopped drinking um, and have some kind of axe to grind. 
because they don't drink anymore. And they think everybody else should stop drinking. And there's just this class of people who stop drinking and then think everybody else should stop drinking. And that that's fine. But, you know, I get criticism for, you know, if you're really concerned about toxins, then alcohol is toxic too, and you should just stop drinking. It's like, I I can see that alcohol is toxic. I can see that, that, that it's an, an exogenous, meaning something we take in from the outside. It's an exogenous toxin that body must, cannot absorb, it must expel through urine primarily. And so, you know, the reason I don't drink during the daytime, there are a number of reasons why I don't do daytime drinking, but among them is the moment you start drinking or taking in any exogenous energy source like alcohol, you're going to stop fat burning and you're going to stop... Uh, you know, your 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 body is going to turn all of its attention to expelling this toxin, and so I only drink at night. And then, so I have some drinking rules that allows me to put guardrails, sort of around an adult life of drinking. One of those is I don't drink during the daytime. Um, I also don't drink often during the middle of the week anymore, right? Because for me. You know, I'm I'm older, so I'm I'm 62, and I'm training for 70 now, right? And 80. That's what I'm training for. And so I I I don't think I'm gonna look back at 70 and say, gosh, I wish I had drank more. You know, I have a regret that I didn't drink more. I don't think that's what I'll look back and have any I might regret not performing high enough or not making a big enough impact on the world in a positive way. And having people be introduced and drinking natural wines is a very positive impact on the world. And I have other impacts that I'm interested in. So, you know, I, I it sounds like that I don't think people should be drinking. That's not the case. I, I drink natural wine and lots of it. I just don't drink most days during the week, during the middle part of the week. And, um, and I don't drink during the daytime ever, right? Just because I... Just don't think it's performance enhancing. Now, sounds like I'm pretty down on alcohol and drinking, but no, actually, I love it. Um, I love drinking wine. I love sitting around a dinner table. I love the the exploration of wine. I love the taste of wine. I love getting high on wine. I love the euphoric sense of connection with other people. I love how the window of vulnerability rolls down and people are able to come in and see me and people are willing, willing to be more seen and more available and more vulnerable when they drink. And the laughter and the banter and the joy that the discovery of these wines brings for me is extraordinary, not to mention the positive impact it has on my sex life, right? So it's like, this is all a wonderful thing. Wine is romantic. It makes lovers out of all of us. Yeah. Well, and there's studies that claim that red wine is is good for us, you know, and then studies after study. Now, are these studies based off of quote natural wine? Or what do you what's your take on all these claims that wine is good for X, Y, and Z? Well, you know, JAMA, um, which is the American Medical Association's journal just published an exhaustive study not uh, probably six weeks ago debunking most of these studies and saying look we we 
breaking news. This is covered by the New York Times and lots of credible news sources. JAMA comes out and they publish this article. It's been about six weeks ago and health leaders have been all over it that said drinking ethyl alcohol. And Peter Atia, who just wrote, you know, best-selling book on longevity and wellness and is America's favorite doctor of the moment, in addition to Dr. Mark Hyman, who drinks and promotes our wines. But they've all come out on the, on the heels of the JAMA study. And even Peter Atia was in front of this and said, look, Peter Atia says, as does Mark Hyman, look, I drink. Peter Atia drinks. And uh, he was just featured on Oprah yesterday or this weekend. So uh, about his book. And I think he's her doctor. And uh, he's doctor to the stars. He's Jeff Bezos' doctor and, you know, all these people. So, you know, but he's always said, and I agree, that drinking ethyl alcohol in any amount is probably not healthy for humans. JAMA just came out like six weeks ago with this study of over 200 alcohol studies that said definitively some of these studies were underwritten by the alcohol industry. And some of these studies are just plain wrong. And we believe that based on the preponderance of evidence that there's no lower mortality risk by drinking. There had been a number of studies that said there's, you know, lower mortality, uh, lower, lower overall mortality, mortality risk between drinkers and non-drinkers. Turns out it's not true. I even heard studies say that it was good for your microbiome. It was good for gut health. You know, there are there. there well, this is a little bit different. What JAMA was saying is that there's no drinking does not lead to lower mortality risk. But in natural wine, there are two living bacteria. The difference between a natural wine and a conventional wine is that it hasn't been sterilized and preserved with sulfur dioxide, which also kills all living bacteria in the bottle. So natural wines are still alive. They still have living bacteria. Two of these bacteria are known to be friendly to the microbiome. And Dr. David Perlmutter has written several times about red wine, and it's potential benefit to the gut microbiome. Yeah, because I've been digging deep in that. <laughs> because of these two living bacteria that are only found in natural wine because they have been sterilized mm -hmm. out of conventional wines. So that's a little bit different topic. So there, there are living bacteria in natural wines that are thought to potentially be beneficial to your gut microbiome. And Dr. David Perlmutter, not Todd, has posted and written about this several times. He's also an advocate for drinking natural wines and drinking specifically our wines because we're the only lab-tested, health-quantified wine merchant on the planet, right? And because we care about these things, you can take a look at me and see I care about health, right? I care about... Um, I care about wellness. I care about longevity. I look 15 years younger than I am, potentially, maybe more. I mean, it's like because I have these modalities and I have practiced these, these um, modalities of wellness and longevity for over 20 years. I've been, I'm, as an example, I only eat once per day. I've been eating once per day for eight years. And so... Um, and I experiment with all kinds of different modalities of eating. Presently, I'm on a carnivore diet for the last two weeks because I've never done it before and I want to experiment with it. So the 
I don't think it's a lifetime solution, but I wanted mm -hmm. to experiment yeah. and see what all this hubbub was about. So um, now let's get back to the health benefits of wine. Here's and red wine specifically. So here's the claim. Uh, and we, we don't know if this is true or not um, because there are no studies to support any of this. No studies to say that it's right or wrong. So, but here's the hypothesis. In red wines, there are over 800 polyphenols, flavonoids, and antiflavonoids. The most famous one that's gotten the most attention is called resveratrol. Resveratrol is been made famous as a supplement by an anti-aging researcher and doctor in a Harvard lab. His name is David Sinclair. He also write, wrote a New York Times bestselling book called Lifespan uh, about three years ago. Also drinks our wine and is a great guy and runs this super famous lab at Harvard that has published numerous studies over the years on the benefits of the life extension possibilities found in mice and other living organisms like yeast and worms, which are easier to work with because they have such short lifespans. That resveratrol in pretty high doses has been shown not in humans, because you can't really do nutritional studies in humans, unfortunately, because unless you did it with prisoners, because humans don't always comply with what they tell you they're doing. And the other problem with nutritional studies and health studies with humans is that you've got uh, these cofactors, right? So I drink natural wines. Uh, I also exercise. I also don't smoke. I also eat inside. So the people who care about eating organic probably exercise as well. Right. So is this the exercise of the organic eating? We don't know. Right. And so you, the, the, um, you know, these same people, uh, also tend to walk more. They take the stairs. I mean, these are thoughtful people who make intentions. So we're not sure if it's because they drink natural wine or because they take the stairs at the airport. Right. So it's like there's, 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 there's all these cofactors that we just don't have any way to measure any of this. And so, um, so in white wine, there are about 200 of these polyphenols. In red wine, they're just over 800. And the reason you get more polyphenols in red wine than white is because red wine is made with skin and seed contact. And so most of these polyphenols, including resveratrol, come from the skin of the grape. They don't come from the meat of the grape or from the juice. They come from the skin. And so when you make your wine making lesson 101, when you make white wine, you press the juice uh, from the grape and it goes into a tank where you ferment it and you discard from the press, you discard the seeds, the stems and the skins and you throw them away in a bin and you ferment this clear free run juice. When you make white red wine, that's not how it's made. Red wine, you press the juice from the grapes. It goes into a tank. When you're finished pressing, you take the skin, seeds, and stems that remain in the press, and you put those in the tank with the, with the juice. 
And those macerate for any period of a week to a month or longer, depending upon the winemaker's style. That maceration is what gives red wine its increase in polyphenols from skin contact, its tannin structure from seed and stem contact, and some skin contact. So when you drink a red wine, and most serious wine drinkers, you know, not all, but many serious wine drinkers, potentially most, take an interest in the complexities of red wine versus white wine. Because red wine has these tannin structures that has more of a structure. White wine is typically pretty single dimensional or mm, double dimensional. So you've got an aromatic and you've got a taste. Red wine has tannin structures. It has a number of dimensions of structure. And so there's no scientific data that proves that red wine is healthier or healthy than white. This is just they don't exist. What we do know is that there are more polyphenols there. And those compounds are thought to be protective in some cardiovascular situations. They're thought to be protective in neurological conditions. Now, that being said, we also know that alcohol is excess alcohol is super dangerous for neurological conditions like Alzheimer's and dementia. So the abuse of alcohol will likely in many cases lead to dementia. So, you know, you've got this double-edged sword, which my approach to it is uh, I care about my cognitive health. I obviously care about my physical health. And so I care about expanding my health span. We're going to all, but we're going to, most of us will die from the same five diseases. The question is, when is the onset of the disease? That's the difference between health span and lifespan. So health span is the longer period of time that I can delay the onset of the basically five chronic diseases that will kill all of us, right? And so if I can delay that to say 90 or 95 as opposed to 60, right, then I can expand my health span and my functionality as, as a performing human, you know, longer, making, in my case, more contributions toward a better world and a better experience for other humans. So that. That's a rabbit hole we just went down. <laughs> no. Well, I want to talk about sugar for a second here. How much sugar is in conventional wine versus your wine of what you approve and sell? And wh why is there so much sugar in conventional wine to begin with? The number one question that I get from the public is, how can your wines be sugar-free? Exactly. Uh, because isn't there sugar in grape juice? Yes, there is. Let's go back to winemaking and fermentation. First of all, to tell you how sugar gets in wine or does not get in wine. It's not added. That's not how sugar gets in wine. It's left behind. So what do I mean by that? And the industry is called RS or residual sugar. That's the official name for it in winemaking is residual sugar. Here's how sugar gets in wine. It is not added. Sugar gets in wine during the fermentation process. So when you press grape juice, it is teeming with sugar. It's super sweet. It's ripe. There's a ripe fruit is full of sugar. It goes in the tank and yeast, either spontaneously because it's a native yeast in natural wine or in the conventional wine, they add the commercial yeast after they killed the native yeast first. Then they inoculate it with this lab-grown yeast. But it doesn't matter where the yeast comes from. From here on out, the process is the same, whether it's a native wild yeast or a, a GMO 
lab cultured yeast. The yeast has the same function no matter where it comes from. The yeast will activate once it reaches a suitable temperature. If it's too cold, it won't activate. You know that from your mother making bread and putting the, the yeast and water mixture uh, in a warm place with a towel over the top of it, right? So the yeast would activate. And when yeast activates, it looks the same in a wine tank as it looks like when you're making bread at home, it bubbles, right? Like it's a frothy bubbling to it. And this is exactly the same thing in a wine tank. So when yeast activates, the yeast starts eating the sugar. That is the food source for the yeast. And the yeast eat quite heartily and they have a grand time. And they eat, and they eat, and they eat. And the byproduct like, is like a Pac-Man, right? They're just like swimming around eating. And the byproduct is they eat the sugar, and then they expel ethyl alcohol and carbon dioxide. That's how you ferment wine. Now, if the fermentation process is allowed to complete, and you have a whole completed fermentation, the yeast will eat all of the available sugar, every bit of it. They'll eat all of the available sugar, and then the yeast will die and become what's known as lees. That's dead yeast. So the yeast will die from a lack of food source. Now, that's a fully fermented wine. That's what we sell and drink. It's sugar-free. That's And because all the sugar is, is eaten up. It's eaten up by the yeast. But that's not what's happening in conventional wine. There's a little device, it's not very sophisticated, it's a little device that goes in the side of the tank and it tells the winemaker at any given time how much sugar is remaining in the wine. When the winemaker reaches a level of, and this is up to the winemaker, this is their style of wine that they're making. When the, when, when the wine reaches a suitable level of residual sugar, the winemaker will dump sulfur dioxide, which is a, an acute toxin, into the wine to kill the, to kill the yeast, therefore leaving sugar behind that the yeast didn't eat. So he, he or she intentionally kills the yeast. So they're doing that to just make the, the process shorter so they can make more wine? No, it's not to make the or process shorter. It's that sugar gives mouthfeel to wine. Just like any, like sugar makes wine more mm -hmm. round, gives it a bigger finish. It, it just gives mouthfeel and taste. So Americans love sugar, as you know. So they're wanting their wine just to be addictive so they can sell more. There's a whole lot of motivations. It's all around money, you can be sure. But, but, but it's a winemaking style of making wine that appeals to people because their job ultimately is to sell it. And wine with sugar in it sells better. Right. Well, I, I will tell you a story really quickly. I know, like you said, we, we are coming up on time here, but um, I do have some of your bottles. And I'll admit, like before, I, I'd stop drinking alcohol and, and wine in particular. If I did drink alcohol, it was wine. And so, but every time I would drink, this was many, many years ago, I would always get a yeast infection. And it was, of course, because of the overload of sugar. And so I was like, whatever, I'm just not going to drink. And then, of course, I got sent your wines. I was like, you know what, though? They claim they have no sugar, so maybe I won't get a yeast infection. Lo and behold, I had some of your wine, didn't get a yeast infection. And that was so exciting for me. And that's a true testimony to say, okay, there's something happening here. Why this is completely different. Um, 
And that's just one little example, but I thought that was just so interesting as to the claim of your wine being sugar-free. These wines are life-altering. It's why I do what I do. Yes, I make a decent living selling wine, but that's not why I do this. I do this because these wines will change your life, especially if you're a regular wine drinker. At Dry Far Wines, they source wine according to their uncompromising criteria of farming and purity. Zero sugar, additive-free, lower alcohol, organic farming, low sulfites, vegan, keto, and paleo-friendly. And it's more than just a wine club. Their classic membership is the best way to discover pure, natural wines. You can order boxes of 6 or 12 bottles and choose all red, all white, or a mix. You also choose the shipment frequency that best suits you and you can cancel at any time. In fact, after your first order, you can cancel right away and just get a good collection of wines that will last you a very long time. They also have a 100% happiness promise. Dry Far Wines stands behind every wine you receive. They will either replace or refund any bottle you don't love. No questions asked. So you truly have nothing to lose. I have a special offer only to my listeners. You can get an extra bottle in your first order for just a penny. Just go to dryfarmwines.com slash digest. Again, that's dryfarmwines.com slash digest and explore all the natural, organic, sugar-free, additive-free, low sulfite and lower alcohol wines and get an extra bottle for just a penny. I will also put that link in today's show notes so you can just go there with one easy click. That's dryfarmwines.com slash digest. You know, I love wine in spite of all the negative things I've said about alcohol. I love wine and I just need to be cautious about how I administer that toxin, right? And I don't want to drink any of the other toxins. So I I don't want to drink chemicals from farming. Don't drink any of these additives. Uh, I I manage the toxicity of alcohol. Uh, Are these other additives and chemicals from farming toxic? I couldn't tell you. There are no studies to support that they are or are not. But what I do know is I don't want to drink them if I don't have to, right? So that's sort of the point of view I take about it. But so that's how sugar gets in wine. Our wines are lab tested for sugar. They're lab tested for alcohol. We only sell lower alcohol wines between 7 and 12.5%. U.S. wines are typically now nearly 15%. And guess what? Another collusion between the government and the alcohol industry. Alcohol stated, alcohol printed on a wine bottle is not required to be accurate by law. And so if it says 14% under the current statute, it can be as high as 15.5% and still be legal. And there's no enforcement around it. There was a study, and this is also in our white paper, there was a study done about seven or eight years ago on California wines found that nearly 70% of U.S. wines understated the alcohol on the label. So why is that important? It's important because alcohol is toxic. And while I want to drink and enjoy wine, I want to minimize alcohol. I do that 
not to having one glass. I do that by drinking lower alcohol wines. I sometimes, quite often, just last night, I put I put cold spring water in my wine, right? This lowers the alcohol dose. Um, and so, you know, I'm really, I'm really quite fastidious about managing alcohol intake for all the reasons that I've already mentioned. And I think everybody else should be sensitive to it too. It's not healthy to drink too much. And so it may not be healthy to drink at all, but then I'm going to manage that dose. So thanks for having me on today. Well, I, I know we're coming up on time. Any final questions or? Well, you know, I, there's so many questions, but uh, I had a bunch and I feel like you covered them basically all within this interview. And for anyone listening, I'll be able to, you know, share some, uh, you can contact Todd in today's show notes and, you know, all his social media, but why don't you share your social media? And- so we're Dry Farm Wines, everywhere on social media, Dry Farm Wines. I On social media, on Instagram, I'm Dry Farm Todd, T-O-D-D. And so you can find us on social everywhere. Uh, awesome. But uh, and on our website, dryfarmwines.com, and you can go to my founder story there, and our wine industry facts are, are, are published there. Uh, again, because some of these things are so crazy, you're like, uh, did he just make that up? It's like, no, I didn't make any of this up. And it's all cited back to credible third-party sources like the National Institutes of Health, the World Health Organization, the TTB, the Treasury Department, the Center for Science and Public Interest, their petition, all of it is there. Uh, organic farming statistics, both in California and worldwide. You know, it's the dirty dozen list from the environmental group. It, it's it's all cited. Right? I love so, it. Love anyway, it. Thank you so thank much, you. Todd. I really appreciate you having me today. It was a ton of fun. And I know I talked a lot, but there's just so much to tell in an hour. So much. <laughs> so thank you again for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Digest This. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review in your podcast app to let us know. If you're ever wondering how you can support me and this podcast, sharing it with your friends and family is the best way. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Mike Fry. To email the show, message us at digestthispod at gmail.com. See you next time. The content of this show is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for individual medical and mental health advice and does not constitute a provider-patient relationship. As always, talk to your doctor or health team first. If you're looking to take back your health, it's time for you to listen to the Real Foodology podcast. From the producer of Digest This comes one of Apple Podcasts' top 10 nutrition shows, hosted by integrative nutritionist and real food activist Courtney Swan. The Real Foodology podcast is on a mission to change the way we eat. Courtney interviews doctors, food experts, health professionals, and nutrition pioneers to bring you the best info so you can thrive. Somewhere along the way, we lost sight of how impactful our food choices are. But it's never too late to start on the path of better health choices. You'd be so surprised how resilient our bodies are when we start taking care of them. Yes, it's overwhelming, but that's why Courtney's here to help. She breaks it down for you and makes the information more accessible so that you can make more informed decisions in the grocery aisle or restaurant. Listen to the Real Foodology podcast today on your favorite podcast app. New episodes every Wednesday. Produced by Drake Peterson and Resonant Media.